Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor Podcast. My name is Andrew Dick. I'm an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the nation. Today, we'll be talking to Andy Van Zee. He is an investment broker with Marcus and Millichap. In particular, he works in their senior housing group. We're going to be talking about his background in the industry, how he ended up where he is at today, and then we're going to talk about seniors housing in, uh, in general. Andy, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Appreciate uh, being able to have this opportunity to talk with you about this. Andy, before we jump into trends in the industry, uh, tell us about yourself, where, where you're from and uh, where you went to school and what you wanted to be when uh, you, you, when you grow up. Absolutely. Um, so I'm originally from small town, Prairie City, Iowa, just east of Des Moines. I grew up there. My family still all lives there. I'm currently in Indianapolis uh, with my family, my my personal family, and um, went to undergrad South Dakota State. Had to wanted to kind of get far enough away from my parents that I couldn't drive home on the weekend. I got a political science degree at South Dakota State, and originally thought that I was going to get into politics. Uh, did a lot of the the grassroots politics route, um, multiple campaigns, working with one of the, the, the national parties for several years uh, to a point where I ended up on, let's just say I ended up on the wrong side of the, of the ticket and uh, needed a little bit of a change. So I went to, went to law school thinking that I was going to end up back into government or politics of some sort, but uh, the Lord had other plans. And so my, I went to Cool, Thomas M. Cooley Law School, which is now Western Michigan, up in uh, Auburn Hills, Michigan. Met my wife at that time. We got married, but she was a Hoosier. So after graduating, we moved down to uh, Indiana, where I found myself working in-house for a major skilled nursing developer and was really introduced to the senior housing industry through that time frame, uh, doing a lot of work uh, specializing in the certificate of need laws and uh, applied for uh, certificate of need uh, applications in states across the country, as well as just kind of um, going through some of the licensing process for our, our group to be able to continue to grow and expand, and was introduced also to some awesome operators during that time frame. A lot of the the people who we were uh, directly in partnership with on, on new deals, or um, just kind of consultants along the way. A lot of uh, great people uh, in this industry that uh, when I moved on from that position. I started to do some consulting on my own on in the world of certificate of need. I did a a, a few more projects, um, notably with with a, a major hospital health system, actually back in Iowa. And uh, through that time frame, real estate has uh, always that that development aspect of of being able to see this industry grow and be a part of that is what brought me back to uh, or brought me to Marcus and Millichap. We had networked with them throughout the, the time frame when I was doing certificate of need, also looking for beds. Um, Jim Knapp, who is uh, part of the Knapp Group Senior Housing Advisors within Marcus and Millichap, the team that I'm now associated with, I had called upon him clear back into 2000, back in 2015. And when I joined Marcus and Millichap, um, it was just a great landing spot to be able to uh, build upon some of the, the knowledge that I currently had, but also be able to be with a great group of, of senior uh, agents within the firm 
to be able to launch and grow outward from there. So thanks, Andy. That's a very interesting uh, career path. Uh, what's you and I've had the chance to work together over the years and uh, always enjoyed working with you. And I've always thought of you as an expert in the long-term care space. And when I heard you landed at Marcus and Milchap, I was uh, personally excited for you. It's a great platform and a uh, uh, great organization. Um, uh, before we dive into some of the um, what's going on in the industry. Uh, Andy, for our listeners, tell us about the senior housing industry and how you break down the different asset types. Um, I typically think of senior housing as uh, you know, skilled nursing facilities, uh, assisted living, et cetera, but, but be more specific for um, maybe those who, who aren't familiar with the different asset types. Certainly. Well, let me let me touch a little bit on um, that and uh, Marcus and Milichap, even the platform that I'm with. So Marcus and Milichap is a full service uh, real estate brokerage company that we only specialize in investment sales. But each uh, product type, uh, each agent has their own product type, I should say, that they uh, really drill down into and try to become experts within. And so in senior housing, within senior housing, we really focus on skilled nursing, assisted living, independent living, memory care, and CCRC products that obviously would encompass all of those other four uh, components onto one campus. We only focus on real estate. However, there is times when we do come across home health uh, uh, companies that would be connected with an operator's skilled nursing business or, or a senior housing business in some way or another. And we will work with those as well. But primarily from our platform, we are really focused on uh, that that core of skilled nursing, assisted living, memory care, independent, and uh, CCRC. Medical office space is is a separate group within Marcus and Milchap. So we don't, my, we don't really touch into that, as well as uh, hospital and, and those really high acuity um, dialysis or or uh, other dentistry any of those types of um, medical type real estate components uh, is not part of our group so so your group is able to focus and and really get into the weeds on you know valuation and what's going on in the industry is is my understanding andy uh, that's a, that's exactly right we really try to become experts in the throughout Marcus and Milchap, but in the senior housing space, especially when it's, it's different than any other type of, or I should say, than most real estate uh, components in which when you're selling the, the asset, the, the underlying real estate asset, most oftentimes you're selling the business with it. And or it's a special, you know, it's a, it's a specially built property where the value is uh, driven by the actual operation of that specialty, skilled nursing, assisted living uh, that has been uh, operated out of that space. And so we really uh, are unique in that format that we, we drill down in to understand both the real estate trends, but also the operations. There's, there's a lot going on, especially amongst uh, in the last couple uh, weeks, months with COVID in the healthcare space, uh, in senior housing specifically, that if we tried to cover all of healthcare we we couldn't become the we couldn't be the experts that we really need to be for our clients. 
So, so you mentioned COVID, uh, Andy. I know that uh, senior housing has uh, been significantly impacted um, by the virus. What has that done? What What are you seeing in the industry as a result of COVID? Is it Is it impacted occupancy? Has it um, impacted operations financially? What's it done to sale prices, et cetera? Give us kind of a broad overview. Good question, Andrew. Um, it's definitely had a, an impact. It's, you know, when we look at uh, what has happened with COVID, it's it's had an impact just like any other real estate asset uh, or any other business, really. What's interesting about the healthcare is it's always been deemed one of those essential businesses. And so the lights have always been on. Employees have always been coming to work. People are still getting care. And even unlike some of the medical office space where a lot of those elective uh, procedures were put on hold um, or even telemedicine where you could, you could go somewhere else in senior housing. It, it's, it's always been uh, a, a truly essential part of the economy and, and a business that has continued to operate. And from that standpoint, because it's continued to operate, it's had, it's been exposed to, to COVID in, more ways than uh, a lot of other industries, and therefore there have been a uh, some negative some negative press that's come about that exposure. Um, but it's really been uh, six months now past the start of this pandemic. Uh, it's really been a really strong and resilient industry, and a fun one to to be able to kind of watch and and interact with. Um, by and large, I would say starting with the skilled nursing aspect of it, everybody that I have interacted with every operator has taken COVID seriously on day one from there was, there was a time where I was visiting some facilities before some of the mandates came out back in uh, early March that weren't letting me in were, were as soon as some of these um, uh, just even scare started to, to rise, they were shutting the doors. And I, and I would say that that has been something that has been pretty consistent throughout that every operator that, that I would say uh, has been in the business and most operators in senior housing are truly in it because there's something more than just the operation of, of a business and collecting pay- paycheck. They want to care. There's a care component deep within them that they, they care for those residents that are inside their buildings. They've done a good job of, of containing it. Now that said, there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of change. So skilled nursing, obviously uh, the biggest impact right away was the closure of the shutdown of the elective procedures in some of the hospitals. If you had any sort of Medicare component to your 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 revenue model, you weren't just a truly long-term care and relying upon Medicaid. It, you had a, you had an impact on day one, and and that was in terms of of occupancy. So uh, as occupancy goes down and, and you weren't able to continue to fill, backfill those, uh, definitely there's been an impact on, on revenue uh, on day one. Assisted living uh, seemed to be a kind of the next, the next group that has, was impacted, but it wasn't as immediate. They were affected more through attrition and or just marketing efforts. Um, we heard kind of a mixed bag, and some of the trends have shown that, that really they've, it has been a downward trend on occupancy overall. But um, you know, when, when there was a run on supplies in, in March and April, May, there, there were some reports early on that those assisted living facilities that could market appropriately um, through virtual tours or just kind of quickly being able to change their, their strategy, we're actually seeing an, an increase 
in occupancy for a period of time as people were wanting to have more of a secure spot to be. Uh, unfortunately, I think some of the, the negative press overall of mostly driven by isolation than today, than, than fear of an outbreak is uh, assisted living and independent living because it is more of a choice to move into those types of facilities. Uh, they're having a slower recovery, whereas skilled nursing, uh, once elective surgeries have t- picked back up, they have they have shown a stronger rebound. But it also does come back to the quality of the operator. As a whole, overall, the industry occupancy-wise, and it's all driven by occup- you know, income's all driven by occupancy in this in this category. It is still has a ways to go to catch up to where we were, but. Um, the plus side is there's been a lot of positive stimulus cash flow that has been pouring into the system uh, from day one, starting with the PPP. But there was um, there was Medicare advanced payments. There were a lot of grants. There are still now new grant money out there uh, specifically targeted for senior housing operators who can develop or create isolation wings whether that be brand new or, or converting still reimbursed for, for conver- converting those spaces. There uh, are been more reports now of if there have been um, on skilled nursing specifically, if there's been an outbreak and they've had to isolate and shut down any part of the, the organization, uh, Medicaid even is, is, re- is reimbursing some of that 14 uh, day period of time for some groups. So I think there's the upside is, 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 the government as a whole recognizes that this is a, a, a strong industry. I think that needs to, uh, we need to take care of our residents. We need to take care of our, of our seniors. And I think it's going to be a really good setup for the, for the, the future. This has always been an industry that has a very long runway and we've always been very bullish when you just look at the, the aging of the, the population as a whole and new development has, has led the way I think on a lot of the growth and a lot of the change in the industry, but because of COVID and because of the focus on the quality of care, and especially in terms of, of, of isolating our, our, our residents and, and taking care of our staff, I'm seeing changes that I, that I think will have some long-term impacts overall that'll be good even for the established business who maybe can't win the market share on day one because they don't have the newest and shiniest product in town. Example, I've got a, an operator that, that I'm working with in Iowa done a phenomenal job, kept COVID out of the building. It's, it's an older, it's an older property, but they were older in terms of it's not new within the last 10 years. Um, but has still kept COVID out of the building has, uh, kept an isolation wing always made available for new residents to be able to come into an artificially held occupancy low because of that, so that they can have those excess beds open. And as a result of that, uh, you know, some of these newer advancements that are coming out just recently of COVID testing units in the buildings, uh, because of the, the focus on the care of, of residents and staff in this building and the quality that's been, been driven, this facility is one of 10 in the state that's going to get one of those first new uh, testing machines in the, in the building. So I think that's what's, what's going to be the kind of the the, the silver lining, I guess you could say, out of all of this going forward is that people are, have been forced to change uh, throughout this entire process. And they were forced to change very quickly. And in the last six months, uh, senior housing has done an, an amazing job of taking care of the residents 
and change, adapting with it through technology of virtual tours, through technology of just virtual meetings, technology of, of tracking um, you know, the flow of visitors, but even down to just operationally shifting very quickly, uh, delivering meals in the rooms. So you get on, um, on social media and you see uh, countless uh, uh, videos or photos of innovative ways in which uh, family members can still see their, their loved one in a facility. Uh, behind a plexiglass wall or or um, something that is things we have never seen before. And obviously we've never seen this pandemic before, but all of these uh, these changes, I, I think, are going to set up this industry for a very strong run in the future. Uh, that said, and I'm sorry for being long-winded on your, your, your question, Andrew, but that said, because of all the stimulus, there's there's also been several groups that I think at the first quarter or first half of next year, we're going to start to see some stress, some stress fractures in the operations. Obviously not everybody um, in a, in the graduating class are, are, are the top of the class. There's always some that are just getting by. And those uh, who are in this industry today who have not adapted very well and have not um, been able to either through a desire or lack of just, ability uh, economically or, or, or otherwise, I think that when this, all these stimulus opportunities start to wear off and some of the cash flow that has been coming through that has artificially been propping up some of these, these groups, we're going to start to see some of that, some of those, um, the fallout that's going to come with that in terms of exchanges in the marketplace, ultimately sales, uh, hopefully it's not foreclosures or anything of that nature, but I think that we'll, we'll, we'll start to see uh, a lot more transactions in the near future for those distressed assets than what we are today. So Andy, that was a, that was a great overview. I talked to um, Rich Anderson, who's a, uh, an equity REIT analyst. He covers uh, the publicly traded healthcare REITs uh, for SMBC bank uh, a couple days ago. And he was comparing skilled nursing to um, assisted living and independent living. And he said, you know, most of the stimulus money has really flowed to the skilled nursing operators. Uh, unfortunately, uh, independent living and assisted living operators haven't received any funding in, in most states. Has that impacted how investors look at the different asset types, Andy? I mean, I think you're right that um, a lot of folks I've talked to said, look, the federal health care programs are not going to allow skilled nursing to fail in most right. cases, but independent living, assisted living, you know, they're kind of on their own. I mean, is, is that a fair an, uh, analysis or you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, good question. You know, uh, you're absolutely right. Short of the, the, the payroll protection program and any um, type of advancements that was really more for assisted living that actually had employees working independent, depending on how, how, involved you may have had from a staffing standpoint, yeah, didn't get a lot of funding, didn't get a lot of help. I know there's been there's been a lot of uh, talk recently about possibly sending some money in that direction of future stimulus funds. And from uh, an operator standpoint, there's been a lot of groups that have, well, let me take a step back. From a real estate standpoint, just in general, transaction-wise, everything was was really put on hold screeching stop uh, in march all 
uh, all properties that were on the market um, remained on the market. But I don't think our our office, our group didn't list anything, didn't put anything new on the market for at least four, four and a half months. And that was really true of a lot of the brokerage uh, companies that we've um, networked with or, or uh, banks or anybody. Uh, across the board. So there was a lot of money because of the uncertainty of what was to come that nothing transacted. When there were several groups that we were talking to in January and February who were looking at uh, 2020 as a year in which they were wanting to acquire or sell, get out of the business um, altogether. And so the fact that with assisted, back to assisted living, this stimulus aspect of it, of until we can actually have uh, even on these most recent uh, conversations out of Washington is money coming or isn't it? It's held back the flow of inventory on the market. Number one, uh, groups uh, that have seen a decrease in occupancy through this time frame um, are af- afraid to take anything to market that that their properties are going to be devalued uh, accordingly. And uh, for the most part, um, it's a it's a very valid a very valid concern. Uh, the question really comes in is is how long can some of those groups last and how long can uh, how long will it be before they recover? Coupled with uh, the lending aspect of it, a big piece of of what we're you know seeing during that time frame of closed transactions, where you know we had right at the peak of this, we had the lowest interest rates that we've had on record in years, and uh, refinancing and and, um, and looking at new acquisitions as a result of that was a huge opportunity, and then that became unsteady, especially in this market. So we're starting to see the banks come around. Uh, and, and, and those lending institutions come back on board, which is helping. Um, but we're still not seeing on assisted living and independent living, the occupancies really jump back as quickly as skilled nursing is. And because of that, uh, we're, we're not seeing as many groups who are willing to just jump into the game and uh, transact as, as, as strongly. Um, we have uh, taken a property to market uh, our group did within the last um, uh, the last month. It was a it was a CCRC that was mostly with no skilled nursing component, so uh, assisted living, independent living, memory care. We did see some some good market activity on it, and overall, um, I, I think that right now there's a lot of pent up demand in the marketplace. There is still a good opportunity where, because there's nothing out there, and there are groups that need to be active to continue to survive and or just want to take advantage of uh, a time frame where there's not as much competition on a bidding on properties. Um, it's a little bit more of a buyer's, I mean, a seller's market in that way that, with that pent up demand. But we're still not seeing a lot of groups ready to jump into that yet because of, uh, especially on assisted living and independent living, um, because of potential stimulus money still coming in and or these occupancies that just haven't come right back yet. I hope that I answered your question. Well, no, that was great. That was great. You, you hit on a couple of points there. One was, um, what the lending institutions are doing or talk about the capital markets. If, if you're the owner of a, uh, of a senior housing facility, is it a difficult time to refinance? Is it, if, if you're a buyer and you need some capital, how are the banks looking at, at the different asset types? Is it, is it tough to get interest or have prices went up for the cost of capital? Uh, for the most part, I, I think the biggest, the biggest variable right now that 
is is looking at uh, how hard of a hit did you take on occupancy, uh, and as well as just kind of the fundamentals, age of the building, what's your what's your what's your blended rate um, on your on your payer types. Financing's coming back. It definitely it definitely pulled back. There were uh, even though we had these bottom of the market interest rates, uh, lenders in senior housing were putting floors on those. Uh, to try to cover some of the risk with the biggest fear being is COVID going to get into your building and wipe everything out in this, in the, you know, between the time for closing and, or um, shortly after you, you close on it. Right. And so there's, that was the number one thing is we saw floors right away. Then kind of the loan to value ratios started to, to, creep up uh, where you could have maybe gotten a a, a 75% loan to value, you were down to 70. And if it's maybe if it's an older building, 65. And so some of those, some of that amount of leverage that you can put on some of these buildings has definitely been scaled back from what it was at the beginning of the year. I think by and large, we're we're starting to see that um, banks are, are, are coming around and slowly more and more are getting on board. It, I would, I would, kind of liken the banks to what we're seeing even on, on the very macro level with some of the REITs. Uh, some of the REITs um, on the recent transactions that we've had, uh, the recent uh, deals that we've had, have been the more conservative bidders currently. We're seeing a lot more of the private equity or uh, just private money in the space uh, being more active in the bidding and and in the, um, the aggressiveness of those bids. Uh, it, right now in the last uh, two to three months. And I, I really liken that to kind of the way the banks are, you know, they're more, they're institutional in that same fashion as the REITs. They're, they're taking the, the, the longer look and they are, they obviously are having to deal with uh, imminent um, foreclosures that are now starting on, on other product types outside of just senior housing. So um, as we can have uh, a, more time from the beginning of this pandemic and and more 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 space more data to show uh, these lending institutions that senior housing is still a safe place it's a very safe place to be and there's a lot of runway i i foresee that that we will continue to um have greater access to capital even we were, we were projecting that sometime after labor day that it would really start to look more normal I don't know that we're normal in terms of where we were pre-COVID yet, but we are certainly getting back to to it, much like the rest of the country is. Quite honestly, in terms of we have to move, we have to move on. And so, is there access to capital? In, in a very short uh, answer to uh, uh, your question, yes, there is. There, there definitely is. It may not be as highly leveraged, but the interest rates are still uh, low. They've still remained low. And um, it's still a great time to start, you know, to be looking at the the future uh, in senior housing. Yeah, that was a good summary. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, with some of the experts I've spoken to, uh, remain bullish long term on senior housing, given some of the demographics that you know, we've all seen in the news with the aging population. Uh, in fact, some of the uh, uh, I, I talked to some folks who who said, you know, they're, they're looking forward to picking up more of the senior housing assets as things settle down. Um, they just think that the demographics support um, long-term growth in the industry. 
Um, Andy, would you agree with that? And maybe also weigh in about some some of the critics have said there's too much supply. Sure. Specifically in like the independent assisted living areas, but uh, oh, I I definitely am very bullish on uh, senior housing in, in terms uh, of a, a solid investment, a good long term investment. I think there's a lot of runway still here. I, I believe a lot of groups are are believing that as well, and we're starting to see it. Like I said, when you know our our the NAP group within Marcus and Melchap, we've successfully put three properties on the market now within the last uh, two months. And I'm actually getting ready to have a call for offers on, on a skilled nursing facility here in the Midwest uh, next week. And I've had some very strong um, activity on it of, of groups, uh, honestly, of, of more groups that have not played in uh, this region before that are looking to grow and expand their footprint. And, I, you know, long term, I, I think that there, there definitely is, is um, a great time still to even look at senior housing. And early on within Marcus Milchap, especially with the retail sector, the retail sector getting a lot of pressure and even into the multifamily sector, we're starting to look at some of the, um, the lockouts on, for, on, on evictions and uh, the, the fear of people not making payments in, in the near future. We were getting, well, as we were talking to groups, investor groups during the, uh, during the slow time for us as brokers, not the slow time for the industry as they deal with the pandemic, but the slower time for us, we had, we were getting a lot of questions from, from groups who had never really looked at the space before wanting to, um, wanting to see deals, wanting to know what's going on, wanting to, to understand it. And to that end, uh, it, it, it will continue to be a, a strong space for growth, for future growth. Just as, as you mentioned, there's a lot of, there's a lot of baby boomers still that are aging and you know, the, the, the aspect of what it looks like is changing overall. So uh, when you say independent living, assisted living, what's that look like? Uh, you know, development has slowed and there was a lot of development in that space. And you could argue that, that um, it was, the industry was perhaps becoming overbedded in certain areas, but I don't really see that that was the case. I think it was really certain markets. When you look at the country as a whole, there was obviously been a lot of development um, in certain metropolitan pockets. Some of the hot spots just in real estate in general, Texas, Florida, um, uh, those, those two markets especially have had a lot of uh, focus over the last several years, but some of the more tertiary markets, the, uh, the secondary markets, uh, the Midwest, um, uh, the more rural Southeast, uh, some of the, some of the West, um, the mountain region, there's been a lot of uh, still growth out in those areas. And predominantly uh, that's where a lot of the population that is aging is aging in place. I think that what's going to take place out of this this pandemic, what we can we can look to see is slower development in the, those categories, but we still have to have development in those areas just to continue to meet the the oncoming future demand. As far as valuation is concerned, we have kept our 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 valuations uh, and our and our cap rates that we're applying to a lot of these properties that were that were underwriting and listing steady throughout this entire pandemic we've, and we've uh most other brokers are, are doing the same 
uh, appraisers are doing the same. And I think that speaks volumes to this industry as far as where it's going and um, as well as where the value even is today, even despite some uh, uh, downward pressure from occupancy due to the pandemic, cap rates have not changed. And in some ways, depending on the product type, I think you could you could argue that those investors, and I can't back this up 100% yet, there's just not enough data of transactions yet. But in some ways, some of those investor groups who are transitioning over, maybe from multifamily housing over into uh, uh, assisted living or independent living, I think it, there's a possibility that some of those cap rates could even be driven down a little bit as we see uh, capital mi- migrate from different parts of the country or different sectors of the economy into senior housing. Andy, let's switch gears. Uh, when I've talked to you in the past, we've we've talked about trends in the industry, unique um, concepts that some of the operators have launched, you know, whether it's a lifestyle type center or um, a, a high-end uh, independent or assisted living facility. What type of trends are you seeing like that in the industry? And uh, do those type of products tend to, are, are they attractive to investors or uh, how do the investors react to those type of uh, kind of niche product types? Uh, good question, Andrew. You know, the, I would say probably that there's no so everybody's looking for the silver bullet that one that one product you can continue to punch out over and over and over again. It's going to be uh, it's going to be the home run every single time. And it, it always I always chuckle a little bit when I kind of I don't you know kind of hear some of those types of conversations thrown around a little bit because um, you know there's not one type of housing product on the regular housing, you, you know, across the country. And we are dealing with housing. It's senior housing, but it's, it's ultimately still housing, you know, from a, from a, a niche aspect though, I think that what has um, been growing and something that is honestly in a little bit of an interest to me. So maybe a little biased when I say this is, is I really think that some of the smaller facilities, the, the small house design, um, the greenhouse design, uh, those types of, uh, concepts are going to continue to grow across the country, especially as we look to uh, the more affordable uh, concepts that that you know Well Tower has has been pushing quite a bit, trying to find solutions for. Um, a lot of you know some of the bigger investment groups are wanting to look shift a little bit of their focus to what's sustainable. What's a sustainable model, and what's sustainable in the country long term is getting to that middle class or even in some degrees, the lower class that are aging at the same rate as the upper class. And so some of these smaller, um, these smaller types of concepts, I think have, uh, are very attractive for somebody who wants to uh, move into those parts of the country that uh, middle America, if you will, that traditionally would be overlooked because you can't plop down a, a 180, 200 unit facility on, right there. Now that said, our cities are also growing. There's still a lot of um, there's still a lot of growth that needs to continue to happen on a large scale in some of the cities. I think that what you know when you start to look at more of the metropolitan areas and you start to see um, some of the uh, let's just call it an evolution of the villages down in Florida. Ultimately, right? That was a that was a very innovative concept of creating a, a community uh, around a single age group, and everybody has. In, in senior housing is always trying to create community. How do you do it? How do you do it in a unique way? I think the wellness center and an intergen- 
the intergenerational approach that is starting to pop up, not everywhere, but here and there, is I think is also becoming more attractive as you start to get into uh, areas where uh, maybe maybe you have a a lot of other box assisted living or, or independent living structures in your market area, and you want to create that niche. What's one way to do it? I know there's there's obviously there's uh, a lot of groups have been talking about the wellness model of how do you incorporate a true wellness lifestyle into it so that you can age in place. And it's really uh, I really see it as more of an evolution of of what the CCRC model started out as as a as a means for somebody to age in place, but uh, taking it a little bit further and and focusing more on wellness. And so there's there's a couple of of um, uh, unique developments that I've seen over the past several years. There's one of them in the Midwest where they really focused a lot on the intergenerational aspect of senior, you know, of, of a community with it still being anchored as senior housing, uh, incorporating a wellness center that would allow moms and, and, and daughters and um, grandkids to come in and, and do yoga classes together um, or, uh, the culinary aspect of, of having a, a, a restaurant, a really, a really good culinary staff that's quite honestly more open to the public to get a, a restaurant style dining that's true restaurant style open to the community flowing through there. So I think there's still going to be niches uh, in, in growth in those types of categories. Um, from an investment standpoint, bigger is always better. You know, economy of scale is always better. So uh, early on, as those groups are looking for those niche markets, I think I think that the the long term investment is still probably better for a larger project versus some of the the greenhouse model, unless some of the greenhouse style product products um, can be coupled with a uh, a portfolio or on a campus where you have multiple buildings on the same campus and maybe one of them is memory care, maybe one of them is assisted living, and maybe one of them is a skilled nursing component. And so that you can still create that economy of scale from the operational standpoint. So as we get back to the very beginning of, of our conversation, I think that the number one thing is holding that model back uh, from going, going large scale very quickly as a lot of people are very interested in it. A lot of people are very interested in it, I think, and are, and are looking at it. It's just operationally, how do you make it efficient when you are doing one building uh, at a time in places? Um, and so when that starts to, we start to get some some scale and a tipping point of those facilities out there and the operational expertise of knowing how to how to run those, I think that's a very, uh, a very unique model that hasn't had its, spotlight to the extent that it probably should uh yeah especially in terms of investment yeah you know the the greenhouse model is something i'm very interested in in fact i talked to susan ryan a couple days ago from the greenhouse project and hopefully we're going to have her on the podcast soon uh very interesting concept and it seems like it's performed very well uh during covid in terms of uh in some cases, the, the the greenhouse model has almost zero uh, a zero infection rate. Um, oh, absolutely! Some, but I think, but again, you're you're right. Smaller scale. Uh, some investors say it's too small, right, uh, to really pique their interest. But yeah, Andy, uh, talk about. Uh, let's switch gears. Talk about. You know, you've been in the business for. Um, quite some time at this point in, in the senior housing business. Well, 
what advice would you give to someone who's uh, new to the industry, um, looking to to meet folks and and learn about the industry? What advice would you give someone in that position? Yeah, I think the number one thing, if you want to move into senior housing, you have you have no experience. Um, maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you just happened onto a podcast like this one, Andrew, and, and you and you hear uh, that it might be a, a strong area to invest in. I would say, you know, there's a, there's an acuity spectrum that we talk about in the industry, and um, starting at the hospital and working its way down to independent living. And we, of course, in our focus of senior housing, we start that acuity spectrum at skilled nursing and work your way down. For somebody who's coming in, I think it is, um, if you have no experience at all in the service that's actually uh, provided inside some of these buildings, is to learn about that and learn about those different acuity levels and really start to understand uh, what the differences are in licensure, what the differences are in uh, staffing, what the differences are on reimbursement. And a lot of this, um, a lot of these things, especially if, at the upper end, uh, at the skilled nursing end, uh, because there's so much government uh, reimbursement that comes out of it. A lot of this you can actually uh, find out if you're diligent enough. You can you can do some of your research on those um, types of reimbursement things and licensing on your own. It comes down to the economics of uh, the lower acuity, the assisted living, um, maybe the memory care, uh, the independent living that it, you you need to network. You need to find, you need to, uh, uh, find somebody who's doing, and there's plenty of good groups out there that, um, you could, you could get in, in touch with to, to learn more about it. Contact a local broker. I mean, that's probably one of the easiest ways we're, we're always, you know, we're real estate brokers, but we, uh, call ourselves the NAP group, senior housing advisors of Marcus and Millichap. We're, we're advisors, uh, predominantly for those who are already in the industry. So find a find a local broker who that uh, is maybe willing to to spend some time, uh, but be serious. Don't waste anybody's time as well. There's a lot going on in the in the industry, and to be able to find somebody who can um, uh, be able to really share some of the the, the details with, I think is um, is important as long as you're sincere about it and as long as you're, you're serious. That said, you know, senior housing has has been around for quite some time, and there's there's starting to be, I think, a, an evolutionary shift internally, uh, just from the the age of management, the age of operators who are out there. There are a lot of uh, smaller groups that are that are looking to re- that are retiring or moving on, and or handing the baton on to the next generation internally, and you know that leaves us with a lot of mentors, a lot of a lot of sages that have, have been through through it before and a lot of opportunities to just be able to grab a cup of coffee with somebody. I, I've done that uh, many a times uh, when I've both starting out as the attorney in, in this industry, but then also uh, as a broker, just wanting to continue to, to learn it and, and grow my, my craft as well as uh, don't be afraid to reach out and, and ask somebody a question. I think that Everybody in senior housing that I've encountered, for the most part, loves people. They love working with people, caring for people, serving. They, there's so many servant hearts in this industry that uh, if you are sincere about wanting to know and and, and you want to know for the right reasons, you don't just want to know it to come in to, to, to make a buck, 
uh, but you want to make a difference, uh, there are plenty of people to be able to get to know. But learn the industry first. It's not the same as any other just real estate investment class. Agreed. Agreed. Well, that's good advice. Andy, where can uh, our listeners learn more about you and the NAP group? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, in two ways. Uh, you know, the easiest way, obviously, is going to be going directly to uh, either uh, our website within Marcus and Chat, kgseniorhousing.com, K is in kite, uh, gseniorhousing.com, and or just going directly to the Marcus and Millichap uh, website, and you can you can eventually find us that way. It's just Marcus Millichap, M-A-R-C-U-S-M-I-L-L-I-C-H-A-P.com. Well, Andy, thanks for joining us today. I want to thank our listeners as well. Um, on your Apple or Android device, please uh, like or rate our podcast. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor. If you would like to be added to that list, please email me at adick at hallrender.com. 